You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to Tribe Sup by your go-to Middlesbrough FC podcast. We're also live on the Gazette Borough Facebook page. So for you guys watching in live time, please leave your comments, your questions for Dom and Craig in the chat and we'll get through the best of them. And we've taken a couple of weeks off, but we are back and we're looking ahead to the new season. And gents, we do it um, the day after that the fixtures have been released for Middlesbrough. I'll come to you first, Dom. The start against Fulham, is that is that a tough one to start with, you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it's similar to last season, isn't it? An away trip to a to a relegated side. I think I think it is tough, but there's a lot of uncertainty with Fulham at the minute. It's looking, in, you know, Scott Parker's going to leave. Looks like he's going to take charge at um, at Bournemouth. I, I, I've I've read several reports of who Fulham are going to approach, but if we were to see what's gone on with West Brom and and, and other clubs this summer, especially in the Premier League, Crystal Palace and Spurs, you know, it's, there's nothing so certain as getting the man. Is getting the man you want. Um, I, I sometimes think it's better to get these relegated sides early on um, because they don't hit the stride. They're, they're still they're still acclimatising the life back in the second tier. Obviously, um, I'd looked I'd looked yesterday, and I think last season was the first time since since 2009-10 that two teams who were relegated went straight back up, and uh, it was an unwelcome reminder, really, because the one team that didn't go straight back up in 2009-10 were Borough. And one of the teams that did go straight back up were obviously Newcastle. So so it wasn't a pleasant reminder. But um, teams, we, you know, there's so many examples of teams who are coming down, uh, struggling to get the grips with life in the championship again. I think with Fulham, it's slightly different. In they're, they're a bit of a yo-yo club, aren't they? So it's not like they're coming down to a league that they haven't been in for eight, nine, ten years. Um but, but I certainly don't think it's anything to fear. I think we saw this last season. You know, Borough finished 10th in the end, quite way off the top six. But the, even the teams that went up, you know, Norwich were by far away the best team and Borough held their own against Norwich in both games. Um, so I certainly don't think there's anything to fear. And although it's impossible to predict who's going to be decent, who's going to be who's going to be rubbish, which games are going to be difficult and, and which stretches are going to be kind and which are going to be tough, I do think the run of games after Fulham looks on paper to be an opportunity when i'd looked i think i think six of the next seven games are against teams who were either in league one last season or who finished in the bottom half of the championship and the only exception is is qpr who finished ninth so that's an opportunity but then again you'd have looked at the running last year and said that was an opportunity and, and obviously that that didn't necessarily go to plan so um there's plenty of Xbox and maybes, isn't it? Exciting though, I think, planning the schedule. It, it is, isn't it, Craig? It's where it kind of really hots up and starts. Yeah, that's it. I think as you rightly say there, Dom, it's it's that kind of thing where it's hard to predict now. You know, you could be looking at, say, for example, the first game in October, uh, which is uh, a weird whole city, and you and you kind of thinking, oh, okay, a newly pr- promoted team that could be an easy game. But by the time you you not an easy game, no games are easy, of course, but you know, an easier game if you like. Um, but proper you know, champion, you... proper championship manager speak there. There's no easy games in the championship. No easy. By the time you get to October, what's to say Hull don't have an absolutely cracking start to the season? And then Hull suddenly is is a really difficult game on paper. Like you say, you just can't predict these things. But I think definitely, you know, once you get your schedule in, we've got pre-season starting next season. That's when it starts to get exciting again. And, um, yeah, I know we've got, the, we've got the Euros at the minute. I think it might take a couple of weeks, particularly with transfers starting a bit slowly as well, which I know we'll come on to a bit later. But um, yeah, I I think once once we get the Euros out of the way, pre-season will be uh, well underway. Fans will be starting to get back in for pre-season games all being well. And, uh, and I think excitement really will start to build towards the uh, the new season then. So, so I think that's the other thing this season, what makes it all the more difficult to predict is that because, because the transfer window has understandably had a slow start, COVID, uh, we, know, we know that the um, free agent market is going to be very prominent and obviously the Euros. So 
we don't really know what squads are going to look like. Um, and again, that makes it all the more difficult to predict who's going to be strong and, and, and who might not be. We've got a few questions already coming in. Um, and we will get into transfers in it in a wee while. But I thought we'll just dive in with some of the questions we've got. Um, so Matthew Bassford asks, are you worried about the lack of, he says improving, but he's corrected himself in another common saying movement. I'm assuming he means within the transfer market. So I'll come to you first, Dom. We've kind of just mentioned there, you'll probably take a couple of weeks to maybe th- see a few things move and, and players arrive. But is there a concern that, you know, Borough haven't really made any strong statements yet in the, in the transfer market? Well, we, uh, back at the back end of the season, Neil Warnock said on several occasions that he wanted um, two, three, four players in by the time the players return uh, or report back for pre-season, which is next week. Um, but so, so you would imagine there'd be frustration, but Warnock's actually very, obviously wants players in, but, but he's very calm. Um, he, he's optimistic. He's confident that, that uh, the players he wants, obviously not all of them, but but he, he will strengthen. And he said in, in a couple of interviews this week, one of those, one with TalkSport uh, yesterday, that, that he expects to get faces in in the coming weeks. It's no secret that, that free agents are going to feature. And we know that um, contracts expire officially at the end of this month. So, so I do think come the start of July, things will will start to pick up. It's obviously concerning when when you look at squad numbers and think, you know, that that is looking very thin at the minute. But I think it's too early to be overly concerned. I think I think Warnock's optimism and confidence tells us that that he's going to get players in, he's going to get bodies in in, in the coming weeks. And I, and I think come from maybe the 10th of July, from the start of the, the second or third week of July, I think I think the squad will look different. Craig, does, do you think Warnock knows exactly what he wants to do, who he wants to bring in, or at least the positions? Is that, do you think he's got a list of priorities in terms of the transfer window? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, Don mentioned his talk sport interview uh, yesterday morning there, and I spoke to him on Wednesday morning, which was um, the the one-year anniversary of his appointment. He did a little bit with us on, on that, and he, he spoke about transfers to both me and, and talk sport a day later is that they're working hard. He is talking to uh, numerous targets. I think he's counted uh, about six or seven where he's either talking to the player or talking to the representative. It it is still early in terms of, you know, we know the type of players that Borough are targeting. Uh, Mainly they are free agents, certainly the ones they're going after early, the ones he was talking about in terms of wanting to get in as as close to start of pre-season as possible. But of course, all of those players aren't officially free agents until July the 1st, which is next Thursday when Borough start pre-season. But but there is an optimism when you speak to him, um, you know, which I don't think he would he would sugarcoat it at all, would Neil Warnock, if if that wasn't the reality. I think he is optimistic, having spoken uh, to numerous targets, that there will be a few arriving uh, within the next couple of weeks. Uh, I know he, he, he arrives back on Teesside. He's obviously been having his summer break in, in Cornwall. Um, and he arrives back in Teesside on Sunday, I believe. Um, as we say, pre-season starts on Thursday. And I, as I understand it, he's mainly going to be around kind of catching up on transfers and uh, and I think he will also have either agents or players or both agents and players in in the early parts of next week you know showing them what Middlesbrough has to offer the 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 training base at Rockcliffe you know it's it's state of the art it really is and, and players who come here often talk about how good those facilities are England recently used them Scotland have been using them during the Euros they are brilliant facilities and they are something to sell to potential new signings so I think the early part of next week, he will have um, some targets there. And, uh, you know, he definitely has a clear vision in his mind of, of who he wants now and and who he is strongly going after, having spent the earlier parts of the summer kind of talking to agents, talking to players and realising who would be in Burroughs kind of price range and who wouldn't. I think now he's, he's clear in his mind who he's going to get. So Dom, is Balassi one of those that we expect to be back? Is he on that list of priorities, do you think? No, I, I don't think I don't think Yannick Balassi will be will be back at Borough next season. I think um uh, it's it certainly, you know, that this this separated on, on very good terms at the end of the season when his loan spell ended. Yannick um, you know, absolutely enjoyed his time on Borough. I think you could see that. It was it was absolutely clear, both on the pitch and the way he engaged with with fans 
off the pitch on social media, which we've talked about previously on on the pod. Um, but I, I just think, and I might be wrong, you know, things change. Um, you know, it, we saw in, in January, for example, in December, Neil Warnock was saying he didn't expect Balassi to to sign, and obviously he did in January. But it's different now, isn't it? And that he's a free agent. It's not going to be a loan. I, I think the finances will. I just I just don't think the, the, there's a deal to be done there. Um, and I, and I would expect I would expect Balassi to go elsewhere. We've mentioned there uh, the clear plan, the vision, Craig. Can you just give our listeners and viewers some idea to what you think that vision and plan is? Well, he's made absolutely clear, hasn't he, that he wants uh, three three strikers. Um, we know he needs a kind of focal point up top because Borough lacked that so much last season. But it, it is quite interesting knowing that he you know players who are shall we say exactly the same um when when i asked him about michael smith it was interesting the the rotherham striker of course he, his response was rather interesting in that he he said michael smith is one of a number of players we're looking at who can do a similar type of job and and we only need one of them so i think while the strikers will you know he's looking for these kind of football point strikers these target men i think he wants them to be slightly different still he's not going to just bring in three who look and do exactly the same thing because he wants to be versatile he wants to have different options he wants to have different plans and different ways to pick different teams but yeah definitely he wants those three strikers if he can get them and then he wants uh, he, he needs wide men as well it's uh, sami amiobi is is somebody who's been linked this week and uh, I understand he is a player Borough are interested in and who Neil Warnock does like. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one with Sami Amiobi because uh, he's, he's looking for wide men. He's looking to be tactically flexible next season in terms of sometimes he might play without and out wingers and it might be, you know, a 4-2-3-1 or a 4 as a one central striker. But but other times he's, he's spoken about playing potentially um, three... I can't remember, three, four, three, isn't it? Yeah, I was trying to work out the maths and, and kind of almost um, almost all four, three, three and almost play with not three centre forwards, but one centre forward and two wide forwards. But those wide forwards would be very close to the striker. And and I think Amiobi is interested in that and because uh, Amiobi, Sammy Amiobi isn't probably a player who is going to do much defensive work, which perhaps last season wanted in his wide men. This season, he's going to certainly, in particular games, look for his three centre forwards or three forwards. Um, you know, not always to be the men who track back. He'll have, he'll have wing backs to do that, or he'll have you know his central midfielders defensively covering. Um, and I think that's where players like Sammy Amiobi fit in. Duncan Watmore can fit into that. Marcus Tavernier can fit into that. And I think he'll be looking to bring more of them in as well. He has also mentioned he did an interview with Edinburgh Live about an ex-Cardiff midfielder. Uh, uh, but he did reveal in that that he was looking at a midfielder, um, not not the player at heart now who was ex-Cardiff. He's looking at an alternative midfielder. He didn't name who that was, but that is obviously another position we know he looked to strengthen. And, and we also know he needs a, a backup keeper as well. He's obviously got Joel Lumley in from QPR, but he'll, he'll need a backup. But we know Matty Longstaff has been, uh, well, Minnesota have been touted with interest in Newcastle United. It's Matty Longstaff who could be allowed to leave Newcastle on loan this summer, um, having not really been given a chance in Newcastle, but he's held in high regard by a lot of people there. That would be an interesting sign. It would be good for his development, so keep an eye on that one. Just on the strikers, Craig, um, you mentioned there, you know, Warnock would like a three in. Are we talking about three strikers who will be competing? Um, you know, every one of those three will be expecting to start, do you think? Or will it be a bit of game game and shift by Warnock where he knows he can bring maybe one in, the second one will be competing and the third one will be maybe the understanding that he won't be playing every game. I'm just wondering how the dynamics work there. Yeah, well, I think ultimately it's going to be competition for places, isn't it? I think that's where at times Borough struggled, particularly up top last season, is that they didn't necessarily have those options and those that ability to change. So when you know for, we saw for a long time that that kind of British Sombolonga was his his chosen striker kind of throughout the Christmas and early uh, new early period in the new year. Um, and, and ultimately, it was because he didn't have much options. He spoke at that time about, you know, kind of Chuba Akpom was um, was kind of struggling, having recently become a, a father and obviously that taking its toll in his prime. Betcher was, of course, injured. 
Um, so he didn't really have any options to change it, even though Britt was clearly underperforming. Um, and I think next season, what Burra need in, in almost every position is the ability to change. But but as I mentioned as well, it's also a case of, you know, they aren't going to be exact prototypes of each other. They are going to offer different things. And and so it will be a case of, of looking at the opponent who's coming up and, and of these options, you know, who will be the better option, who will be the one who tests that side's defence the most. Um, you know, and, and, and it could be that he, he's, he said he wants three strikers, but as I mentioned, there will be times next season where he'll be looking to play with three forwards, one centre, two wider. So there could be some who come in who perhaps are strikers who can play off a central striker as well. There could be a central striker, but they might play as, say, the the, the right forward or the left-sided forward. I could see Tuberak Pom if he sticks around being that type of striker, it's quite clear from last season that he wasn't, he isn't a central striker. He isn't the back to goal kind of hold up player, but he does the the back off the last shoulder of the defender. So I could see if Tuber Akpom does end up sticking around next season, him being a decent option to play off the central striker, running in behind, feeding off the flicks. He'll have to show a lot this summer, I think, to Rakhon when he comes back in for pre-season. If he does want to stick around at Borough, there is potentially interest there. Um, Warnock would be potentially, you know, in, you know, open to, to selling Akpom. But if Akpom wants to stay at Borough, he's got the opportunity, I think, to come in in pre-season and turn Warnock's mind. You know, sure, he wants put in the application, sure, he wants to stay at Borough. And I think with the way Warnock plans to set up next season... I think the space there for Akpom in that squad, absolutely. I think I think just on that, talking about that, that kind of system and, and, and forwards working off a striker, um, I think I think that'll really benefit Duncan Watmore because Watmore had a, had a, an excellent first, what, two-thirds of the season, what it was but by the time he joined in at the back end of November. Um, but as Warnock talked about at the back end of the season, he'd, he'd actually ended up doing doing a job for Warnock in, in several different positions. Um uh, especially, you know, come the very end of the season when Borough really didn't have any any strikers available. Akpom was left out for a couple of games. We know, obviously, Asombalonga and Fletcher were, were leaving, um, and and there was there was uh, Josh Coburn coming through, but Warnock was understandably reluctant to, to ask too much too too soon from him. Um, so what more ended up playing as a as a as an out and out centre forward, almost dropping into to midfield at times, playing out on the flanks. And I think it's clear that it's it's probably kind of as that number ten floating around, playing off the striker, picking up the picking up the the, the second loose balls, which you'd imagine there'll be many from the way Borough play. Um, and I think that'll really get the the best out of Watmore. We know we know how en, how energetic he is um, and how difficult he is to pick up. But I think Watmore and Tavernier in that kind of advanced role, playing off a centre forward. Would, would really thrive. And that's something Warnock's talked about, hasn't he? Yes, he, yes, he wants centre-forwards who can score goals. Um, Craig did a piece on this a couple of weeks back. But but it's also about signing centre-forwards who are going to benefit the system and the team and bring the best out of others. And I, and I think what more to have, and the likes of Amiobi and other forward players, you know, Junior Hoylet is someone who's been mentioned. You could imagine him in that role. Kadeem Harris, I know he's more of an out-and-out winger, but he was mentioned um, earlier this year as a, as a, as a target. Um, obviously, he's left Sheffield Wednesday. I think all of those players would thrive in that setup, in that system. We've got a few questions here in, in the comments, Dom. Regarding sporting directors, we've got uh, we've got Davey asking if, if the club are, and then we've got the mention from Danny about um, whether the club are approaching Norwich City's head of recruitment. Can you give any insight into into what might or might not be happening with regards to those two comments there? I think I think um I was off last week when that broke and, and Craig picked the story up. I think it was the back end of last week. What you would say is is it'd be a quite it'd be a quite um significant change of model really. That's something that Borough haven't uh, a road that Borough haven't gone down in the past. Um I think when you look maybe a couple of years back at Jonathan Woodgate's unveiling and, and obviously um, Adrian Bevington was, was part of that setup. Now, now Bevington wasn't uh, a sporting director, but he had a hand in transfers. We know that he had a hand in the signings of the likes of, of Mark Bowler, um, who's, who's obviously done well this season. Um, and 
obviously at Norwich is, is, is very well thought of. I was looking at the reaction from the Norwich end and, and he's, he's clearly done an excellent job. I think what you would say is Norwich's model is, is an excellent model and it's, and it's clearly had success. They plan long term, don't they? Even when they've, they've been relegated, there's, there's continuity with Daniel Park in charge of, I think, has done a brilliant job and, and higher up. Um, but it, it's, it's certainly, it was a ball from the blue, really. And, and you know, I, I know that there seemed to be kind of muddled looks uh, at, at the time when it, when it came out. Um, it, it's certainly not something I'd expect, uh, as I say, because it would be a quite significant change of model. Craig? Yeah, I think obviously, as Dom mentioned, he was off like kind of chasing that one up. And and as Dom said, it, it was one that um when when I went to the club and asked the club, they were they were rather uncertain about the story. And um, you know, there wasn't many sources I spoke to on the borough side who who kind of had much of an idea of where this story had come from, uh, uh, what it was all about. Um, and there wasn't even any certainty that I could get that borough were looking to recruit in that role. Um, on on the Norwich side of it, um, the obviously uh, Kieran Scott, um, they hadn't received any kind of communication or any official uh, offer from Borough for Kieran Scott, uh, and it was quite interesting reading some of the things surrounding in that. Obviously, as Don mentioned, they've got a, a very good model at Norwich, and um, it's Stuart Weber, isn't it, who's their current sporting director, and he's really well renowned in that role. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, memory serves me right, he has one more year to run at Norwich, and he's kind of stated that he, he is going to leave at the end of that contract. And and reading interviews with that Kieran Scott Hooper were linked with, he's currently the head of recruit, but he's been shadowing Weber in the sporting director role because that's his ultimate goal. He does want to be a sporting director. Now, by the sounds of it, Weber has offered to stay on at Norwich for as long as is needed to find his replacement. But the fact that Scott is there and shadowing him and learning that sporting director role because that is his aspiration, I, I get the vibe there that it, it would make sense for Norwich with continuation and the way they like to do things, that Scott just naturally transgresses into that role as Weber leaves it um, because that's his aspiration. He's already learning the way that Weber does things. It would just seem a natural fit to put Scott into that role. Maybe Norwich decide to go another direction and get somebody more experienced as a sporting director in the role. But that was the vibe I got from the Norwich end. As for will Borough go down a sporting director role, I'm not sure. I think, as we've already discussed, this transfer window, I think we know resources are limited because of the pandemic and um, Warnock's already clear in his mind with, with what he wants. And, 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 and you know, Steve Gibson is, is going to back him of support he possibly can for Warnock to get what he needs. But longer term... I could see that potentially being an avenue Borough go down. We know that the club are keen to kind of start working towards a more uh, sustainable model. And, and clearly that is becoming ever more uh, prevalent in football, in English football now, that sporting director role and, and, and kind of finding a model where there is somebody like that in charge of transfers, in charge of management appointments. So I could potentially see sometime down the line, um, you know, somebody coming into that role after the summer transfer window and start of already starting to plan for you know the, for when Warnock leaves. Essentially, we, he's probably got another season, um, and and we will probably need to wait to see how that season is going because if they look like they're going to go up, perhaps Warnock would be tempted to have another season in the Premier League. Perhaps not. He's sporting that he doesn't really like the Premier League, so perhaps not. But I could see. Borough going down that sporting director role in terms of then planning for what next after Warnock. Um, that's when I think. Yeah, I was I, like something for the club to focus. I was going to say that, Craig. It, it, the, the, the timing would seem a bit strange now, wouldn't it, with 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 Neil Warnock in charge? Because we know that um, Warnock is hands on with transfers. He's he's got a system that that has has worked everywhere he's been or certainly most places he's been and and he clearly wants the players to to see that system he's, he talked a lot didn't he at the end of last season about how close he was working with the recruitment team and, and how he wanted his trusted lieutenants in, in Kevin Blackwell and Ronnie Jepson to go and to go and watch games to go and watch targets at the end of the season because um he, he clearly knows that they know exactly what he's looking for and exactly what they want 
Um, so, so I agree with you. I think you know, long long term, that that would make sense, but it it would seem a strange fit this summer. Yeah, certainly one to to keep an eye on. Just before we crack on, for you guys listening and watching, just search Tribe Supper from wherever you get your podcasts from, and please remember to like and subscribe, leave us a review as well, and share it with your brother, supporting friends and family. Um, just getting back to the preseason plans, we've got a question here from James, and he asks, um, do you think we should have at least one friendly with a better team just to get the players ready for competitive matches? I mean, I'm just looking at the, uh, the the preseason calendar, and we've got Bishop Auckland, uh, Salt Ash United, Tavistock FC, we've got Plymouth, and then York City. And um, I mean, there's a couple of weeks after that to maybe organise a couple more friendlies, but um, do you see Burra doing that, Craig? Where we expect them to to you know get some friendly matches against better teams, as James puts it. Yeah, I think um, as we understand it, there is going to be one more friendly to be announced. Um, I think we we've already written, uh, so it's widely known that that there won't be a home friendly this season. And of course, Burra's first game of the season is away, and I think we're allowed to say it now that 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 had to be the case because Burra were obviously doing uh, work on the pitch. So I think they requested this, but certainly pre-season friendlies. There isn't a Riverside pre-season friendly this summer because of work going on on the Riverside pitch. There was obviously a lot of talk about that last season about the pitch, and of course there was the the infamous Marcus Tavernier slip and double touch penalty uh, against Norwich, and then I think um, James Collins at Luton did it at the Riverside as well, didn't it? Kind of uh, you know double jeopardy almost and. Um, and um, yeah, so so there won't be a Riverside friendly, but I think there is going to be one more friendly. It'll be, we think it'll be in that weekend, the weekend before the season starts. I think it's the 31st of July, if I'm not mistaken, without looking at the calendar. Uh, we are expecting one more away friendly. It'll be reasonably nearby and it will be, uh, we expect, a, a League One team. So it will be, if you like, the highest team to play in, in the pyramid. I think they had looked at, at Premier League teams, but I think there was kind of a couple of um, you know, knockbacks, if you like, on, on playing a couple of Premier League teams. So it, instead, I think they've, they've looked at a, a League One. Dom, do you think that... Is a bit of an issue though the fact that they have they are playing essentially teams well 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 below their station of the highest team they are playing is just a League One side. I know it's all about fitness and it's, you know it's not necessarily about the quality of the team, but I think it does always help any team if they do manage to play um, a decent side. We've got Liverpool looking to either play Aston Villa or Newcastle um, as one of their final preseason friendly, so it shows the kind of route they're taking. I know it might be a case up over like Craig says, I've had a few rejections, but. Surely they've got to be looking at a few championship sides, maybe, to finish off preseason calendar. I get that point. I get the point. I think. I think um, the one thing you would say is, you know, I, I look back at the various um, kind of what Borough have always done uh, historically is is played a number of lower league sides, uh, York, Hartlepool. Um, they, they played Darlington for many years, um, and then obviously games in. Um, like on the and the tour to Cornwall, the trip to Cornwall that they're doing this summer, and then and then have played a game at home to what you class a, as a well, what are a, a much bigger and better side. You know, Villarreal were visitors to the Riverside one week, but even then, and I, I completely get the point. But even then, the the tempo of the game, the intensity of the game, is absolutely nothing of the sort that you see the week later. So so I get the point, but I, but I don't think I don't think it's a major concern. I, I think. What Warnock would would say is he's got a tried and tested preseason uh, r- routine and, and preseason schedule that that he runs through. So, so I don't think he'll be concerned about his players being undercooked. What what I liked and and I, and I know they've done this a couple of years, where where the Carabao Cup first round was held the week before the first game of the season, um, and sometimes even the, the Saturday before, the weekend before, and, and I like that because that that then is a competitive game. That then is there is bit more tempo that bit more intensity that bit more bite um and 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 it would just help then to to um ahead of the ahead of the open of the week after as it is this season i think the scheduled for the week for the first midweek after the opening game of fulham week commencing monday august the 9th um so 
So I, I, I'd be a fan of that, playing that first cup game before, because I think that, all right, you might not end up playing a, a, a much better side, as it is Borough will be playing Blackpool, a team in their division. You might end up playing a League One or League Two side. But regardless, does that it means something, doesn't it? It matters. There's that bit more intensity and, and that bit more bite to the game. How about this for a pre-season trip? <laughs> Ian says, how about a pre-season down here in Tasmania? He misses the borough. Do you think you'd get well, that on uh, expenses? Well, Craig's doing Cornwall, so I'll do Tasmania. <laughs> Thanks, Ian, for tuning in. Yeah. We've got this massive comment here. And I'm just going to put it on the screen, and I will read out, obviously, for those who are listening later on the podcast, and we'll get both the reaction of Craig and Dom. And it's it's from Matthew... Um, I said it's a long one, so I'll just read. I'll just go ahead and read out the club uh, needs, or should I say, must adopt a different a different ethos in the terms of recruitment. The last five years plus, the recruitment has been a shambles, and we won't get promotion until the recruitment improves. Needed eight or nine players this season. It's a massive ask, and we can't recruit for the sake of it with such a large overhaul of players, especially if Warnock leaves after you know this season coming. What we're meant to do with eight or nine players, another manager, I guess, potentially doesn't want. So, who wants to dive in first and address that? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in, Craig. Um, I get, I get the point there about kind of working with players who are, um, how, how you kind of bouncing from, from, uh, one a manager who likes a certain type of player to the next. So, for example, we look back to the summer when Gary Monk was manager, and you bring in the likes of Martin Braithwaite and Ashley Fletcher and. and uh, British Sambalonga and, and the rest and then um, obviously Tony Pulis comes in and suddenly it's a completely different style of play um, and and yeah, uh, yeah, suddenly that those players who were brought in to do a certain job are being asked to do another job that then goes back to the um, to the to the sporting director uh, discussion doesn't it and the fact that you then you then bringing in players to suit a club rather than a manager um, which is something Borough talked a lot about in in the unveiling of Jonathan Woodgate when you know they talked about the golden thread and and um, how they were planning how they were bringing wanted the, uh, bringing players to suit a certain a certain approach a certain style of play. Um, what, I think I get this year bringing in eight or nine players is is a massive ask. I think two things there is a. It was probably only in the final weeks of the season that Neil Warnock realised he needed as many players as that. He, he'd said previously that he, he didn't think there was anything like that sort of overhaul needed. But then obviously things changed with with some players who who moved on and the likes. Um, and I think the other thing, although Warnock is, you know, he talks about it all the time, doesn't he? I'm 72. I only look at today. I don't think about tomorrow. Given, given that Neil Warnock and Steve Gibson get on so well, we know that their relationship is is excellent on a personal level as well as on a professional level. Um, you, you would Warnock wants Borough to succeed. He wants Gibson to succeed. So he he will be looking at players who uh, can hopefully succeed at Borough beyond this season if Warnock isn't in charge and who can be a success for, for two or three years. I think what you'd say then is the next manager who comes in you'd look at bringing in someone who is going to suit the, the kind of players who've been brought in. So there's that bit more continuity rather than kind of revert into a, a manager who might, you know, like a tick attacker style of player and who looks at the squad and thinks, you know, I, I don't want a big centre forward knocking down, knocking down kind of direct balls forward. I want to, I want to play a different style of, 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 of football, so I think that's that's where the, that continuity comes in again, which which is obviously hugely important. Just before Craig gets us to there, I just want to ask you on the point you've just made there, Dom, because um, we've had a few comments asking about Warnock's future and, and how that impacts on 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 this window, then of course the January window. And I know we're looking far in the distance, but when do Middlesbrough start planning? You know, do they start looking for a new manager? At the end of next season, do they start looking? Do they knock on the door in February and say, "Right, are you are you staying? Are you going?" Like, I'm just wondering because if, if we're talking about picking someone who fits, kind of, it's seamless. It's not exactly the easiest challenge if you're just going to start looking next May. Again, again, I think that comes down. A, a, you would you would you would hope that there'd be a plan in place. Um, you know, Warnock has talked previously, kind of tongue in cheek, joking about it, wasn't he? About going upstairs. Now, now I don't think that I don't think that'll happen because. I think 
Warnock's the type who loves the thrust of being in and amongst it. I don't, I don't, you know, I might be wrong. He might decide that rather than retire, he'll kind of go almost to a halfway house. Um, but, but I think Warnock might potentially have a say in, um, in, in kind of who comes in next, or not have a say, but maybe, maybe recommend. You know, for example, Crystal Palace this year, and I know it hasn't gone to plan, but reading about Roy Hodgson and how he, he. You know, passed on his recommendations as to as to where the club should should go next. Um, and and I think the other thing it links back to what I'd said about about um, Neil Warnock and Steve Gibson having such a good relationship on a personal and professional level. Um, you know, if if for example this season was was to go to plan um, and Borough went up, then you know how do you approach it? Does Warnock think, well, I'm going out on a high, or does he think, yeah, you know what, let's have one more tilt at it in the Premier League? Re- Regardless, I, I don't think he, he, I don't think it'd been the drop of a hat. Right, that's me. I'm off. I don't think it'd be a case of of Borough suddenly having to, like Everton, for example, this year when Carlo Ancelotti Ancelotti goes from out of the blue and suddenly from from nowhere they're having to to find a, a new manager when it's completely unexpected. I don't expect that. So I think with the way with the way uh, of the relationship between the manager and the chairman, I would imagine that the. the that can that conversation can take place in advance so that there's so that there's plans in place. Well let Craig speak in a moment, but Matthew's just responded to your point, Dom, and he said, Well, the you know the worry is finances are hard at the moment and we can't afford to get it wrong this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the case of Borough and and everywhere else. Um you know what? What Warnock has said on a number of occasions is he's, he's got the backing of Steve Gibson. He, he only said it in an interview this week. He said it at the back end of the season that um, Steve Gibson's kind of on, um, you know, singing from the same hymn sheet in terms of, of of what they need. But you know, we we know that that doesn't mean Borough are going to go and splash stupid money. You can't do that. This, you, I mean, really, you can't do that any summer in the Championship anymore. But certainly not this summer, given what's gone on, given the. The financial backing um, Gibson has had to put in in the last eighteen months, while there's been absolutely no bums on seats and nothing coming through, nothing coming through the door. Um, so, so I think Borough, we've said this on a number of occasions, are going to have to be shrewd. Now, you look at the last year. Um, I've said this on a number of occasions. Duncan Watmore is a prime example, isn't he? A free agent plucked from nowhere, really. I mean, he was going to India or Australia. Um, you know, Warnock spotted something, gave him a chance, comes in for free. It's low risk, um, and he obviously is is hugely successful and 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 earns his longer term contract and is going to be a key player next season. I think I think that's Borough need to be shrewd this summer um, and 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 be looking at kind of low risk low risk signings. That said, although although we know Borough aren't going to uh, spend stupid money, um, Warnock has said that he, you know he, he knows he'll have the backing of. Of, of Steve Gibson. So I do think there'll be fees spent on one or two players. Come on then, Craig, get your two pence worth in on this, on this comment from Matthew. Yeah, dying to get in there. I couldn't, uh, couldn't keep down quite. But no, I think um, everything Dom said there is, is, is valid. And, and I think in terms of the question about the, the finances, like the follow-up about the finance and everything, I think the one thing we know, as Dom said, is they are looking to be shrewd. Warnock knows this division like the back of his hand and he prides himself on everywhere he goes. He leaves that club in a better position than what they were in. So you've got to think about the he mentioned the kind of the struggles of, of recent years and everything. But the one the one difference now is that Borough have got rid of those I call them legacy contracts. We talked about that 2017 transfer window with Gary Monk and, and obviously they had the parachute payments at that point and, and so they did go big on trying to make an immediate return to the Premier League and and that meant handing players like British Sambalonga a huge contract. Now, I'm going out on a bit of a win here, but I'm absolutely certain that both last summer and in January, Borough tried to sell British Sambalonga. Um, you know, because getting him out, getting those that his wages off the bill and someone more suited than what he wanted. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to do it because Brits' wages were too big. So nobody was willing to kind of, you know, take him off Middlesbrough's hands, essentially. Nobody was willing to meet that his wage packet. Now he's a free agent. You know, he leaves Borough 
and and it's up to Brit, you know, what he wants to demand from other clubs, but it's not Burr's problem anymore. Uh, for Brit Asan Belonga, there was no need for him to leave last summer or in January because he could wait until the end of the season getting the money he was getting at Middlesbrough. Uh, so that's the difference. I think this summer, Warnock's going to recruit good championship players. They're not going to be players who are only capable of playing under him. They're going to be players who, once Warnock leaves, a new manager can come in, and as Dom says, that's going to need to be Borough being clever and recruiting the right manager who would get the best out of the players at the club. But they are also, it's inevitable that a new manager will come in and there might be one or two in the squad who he doesn't fancy, he doesn't like, he wants to get out. Well, they're now going to be on sensible enough wages where, you know, it is possible to sell them on. They're going to be good championship players. They're going to have, to have other clubs and other managers in this division who would be interested in picking them up and taking them at their club. So Borough are going to be able to move them on a lot easier. I think that's the difference. And and I think right now, because of the way the club is financially, because, you know, not just Borough, this is every club in the championship. I think it's important to kind of, to really make the point that Borough aren't alone in this. They aren't the only club in the championship by any means who are struggling financially in terms of wanting to become you know, more shrewd, wanted to become more sustainable. This is this is a division-wide thing for almost every club in the division because everybody is realising now that the way the championship has been going is totally unsustainable and it can't last. Um, and, and, and yeah, like, Borough are looking to be more sustainable and, and in those circumstances, I don't think there's many better than Warnock who Borough could wish to have because, as I say, he prides himself on taking low-budget clubs and making them better. And no matter what happens this season, I think Borough will be in a better position than when Warnock came in and they will have a better, more balanced squad. Lots of great questions coming in in the comments, so please do keep doing that. We've got one here from Dave McNally. Um, I'll come back to you straight away, Craig, with this one. Um, I think we've, we've kind of discussed it, but I'll, I'll ask anyway. Do you think Warnock's connections are going to kick in after the transfer window shuts? Free transfers coming in from former clubs, short contracts, low risks, and keeping the slate clean for, for next summer. I mean, I kind of, I think you kind of already kind of said he's going to look to bring in the, the, the top players the top players on that list will be able just to seamlessly transition into the next manager. But I guess Dave's kind of thinking short term here. Yes. I mean, if I'm reading the question, right, Dave's asking, you know, will a bit like Duncan Watmore after the window shuts, there'll be, there'll be players to kind of bring in. I think ideally Warner would want to avoid that. Watmore was a, it's it's quite interesting. You could almost call it how fate works with with Watmore because essentially what happened with Watmore is um, is Ashley Fletcher got that injury and in with a week to go in the transfer window and and Warnock was quite happy with with what he had and then Ashley Fletcher got that injury. They knew he was going to he needed another striker um, and and if, and they tried as hard as they could in the last week of that window, but it was just too late. They couldn't get anybody in. And and that's when they decided to give Watmore an opportunity as the uh, the free agent. Um, now, obviously, as it, as it happened, it worked really really well and uh, and brilliant. But I think this summer, you know, the aspirations are to get as many in as possible as early as possible because we know Warnock has the aspirations to challenge for promotion this season, and he he, he kind of builds so much of that around pre-season and around building the the sense of camaraderie in the dressing room the sense of team spirit and drive and and all of that kind of thing to to, to build that he needs those players together as a group for as much of pre-season as possible i think he'll want the majority of his squad together for that pre-season trip down to devon and cornwall you know they'll have the barbecue and things like that and you know that's essentially it's going to be on that trip in cornwall where you know Borough's season is built around that, essentially. If, if, they, if they can build everything, it's going to be there that it happens. Do, do they all stop in posh tents in Warnock's garden, do I think, during this pre-season? I, I would imagine Warnock has enough bedrooms to house them all. <laughs> <and you know. laughs> um, sticking with Warnock, we've got this good question here from uh, from from David. And again, it's, it's on Warnock's future. We'll come to you, Dom. You say, should we... Should we be looking this season to bring in a young and up-and-coming manager to work alongside Warnock uh, for the next one or two years before taking over from him? He said it would have certainly helped Woodgate. 
I think it's interesting that last point, um, just checking I was off mute there. I think it's interesting that last point of how it would certainly have helped Woodgate before he took the reins as Borough coach, because effectively that's what Woodgate did. I mean, he, he was working as in, in Tony Pulis's coaching team. I remember being at um, Hartlepool in the summer of Pulis's last season in charge, so the summer before Woodgate took charge. And uh, Woodgate took charge that day of the, of the game. He was basically, you know, told, right, you're in charge today. And there was a couple of other games like that. So, so I do think um, that Woodgate effectively did that. I know, I know, we've talked about this on a number of occasions. Woodgate would say it himself. I think what Woodgate lacked was was probably more experience in his coaching team when he was in charge. Someone uh, as a more experienced number two rather than Robbie Keane. Um, I, I, I wouldn't expect. You know, we know Warnock uh, in terms of his coaching team, his lieutenants, as we've discussed, Ronnie Jepson, Kevin Blackwell, there is there is trusted backroom team. I I get where David's coming from, but I wouldn't I wouldn't expect someone younger to come in and, and work alongside Warnock. As I said though, what it what it might be uh, is that when Warnock's coming to the end of his time in charge, be that at the end of this season or at the end of next season, um he might well pass on his recommendations uh, because we know he's, he's got such such good connections in the game. We're going to go on to the fact that Warnock has now been here um, a year, his year anniversary. But we've got a quick question in the comments about um, news on the away shirts. We've got a picture here of the home shirt, which I am a big fan of. Let me just find it. There it is. Um, big fan of that. I think, you know, paying tribute to the local heritage and stuff is, is fantastic. I think most clubs and uh, most fans of most clubs would love to see some design like that. Uh, gents, do we have any news on, on the away strip, on a, on, a, on a change strip coming out over the next few weeks and months? Well, honestly, mate, it's as though we've planned this. It's, it, it looks that well drilled. It's as though we've, we've planned this because I'm, I'm writing a piece this weekend. I spoke to um, uh, someone at Hummel this morning and I'm writing a piece on basically how how um, the, pro- the process of producing and designing and launching a, a Borough kit. What got me thinking about it was um, y- y- with, with Hummel, it, it's not just a kind of identikit strip that's launched out every year it's bespoke there's the transporter this year in the past there's been Kathleen Kane lyrics on the inside there's been um references to the to the um you know 1986 and there's been this year in the artwork there was all the lyrics lyrics of the songs so I think what what has impressed me and I know it's impressed a lot of fans is is kind of Hummel going above and beyond really and making it that bit more personal um so I'm doing a piece for the weekend on, uh, and it was some fascinating stuff. Uh, Rob, the guy from Hummel who I spoke to this morning, and um, without giving too much away, he was talking about how uh, he initially goes to Borough with with as many as 40 designs, and then it's and then it's worked down from there. Um, and he was saying that looking back on the last four years, I think it is now that Hummel have have, have done Borough's kits, he's probably got 500 designs. Um, unfortunately, we, we didn't get the copy of the design book because that had made some piece going through the very the several borough kits that didn't make the grade. Um, but obviously, asked him about the away shirt. I think I think that's going to be next month, um, July at some point. Don't don't know the specifics. I think I think with the Euros going on at the minute, not not just a borough but, but everywhere. Um, clubs are obviously keen for, for kit launches and the like. Um, not to get lost amid everything that's going on with the Euros. So I would imagine that to be. Um, to be next year, but unfortunately, no kind of hints as to what the away strip might look like. I'm a massive fan of the blue and black stripes, but no, no hint or, uh, or clue as to what this year's might look like. But I agree. I think the transporter touch it, it just makes it that bit more personal and and bespoke, doesn't it? I'm a, I'm a big fan. I love I love the stuff on the. Yeah, big fan of that. So you can head it. When's that out? That piece on Saturday, is it? Sunday, Sunday. I'm, I'm, um, we've got an interview with Luke Armstrong on Saturday. God, this really is fun now, isn't it? We've got an interview with Luke Armstrong going out first thing Saturday morning. He talks about um, looking back, obviously, last season. I mean, my nerves have just my nerves have just recovered after that Pools game. And I'm not a Pools fan, so God knows what it must have been like to play. And, and for Alan, his dad, uh, who's a Darlow manager, of course, and, and the fans who were there. Um, so he talked about his stint at Pools, but also leaving Borough twice. Obviously, he was released by Borough as a kid when he was 17, 18, signed again after impressing for Blythe Spartans, but then left and is and is now doing well in the in the lower league. So um, that's Saturday, and then the Hummel, the Hummel uh, features Sunday morning. 
Fantastic. Well, plenty of content to get stuck into, so you can over to the website to catch those. Um, we'll finish then looking back on Warnock's time so far. Craig, if I was to ask you to sum it up in a sentence, and I know that's not exactly easy, how would you describe Warnock's time so far, Borough? Um, I'd say Warnock's made progress at Borough. They're in a better place now than when he first arrived. But of course, there are still improvements to make, and the next season ahead is going to be the uh, you know the big mark of of if you like the legacy he leaves at the club. So I mean, we'll go to to Dom. How would you describe it? Yeah, I think I think what Craig says it's it's undoubtedly progress. I think there's two ways of looking at it. If you if you if you were to assess the tenth place finish and having flirted with with the playoffs. Um, a year ago, where where were when Warnock took over, then that's undoubted progress. Um, I think everyone connected, including Warnock, would be disappointed with the tenth place finish when you consider where Borough were at the turn of the year and how Warnock was was convinced really that Borough had come into the own at the, at the business end of the season. Um, but there's there's no doubt, there's no doubt, there's it's it's um, it's been a year of progression, and I think it was promising and, and to hear Warnock say that. Come the start of the season against Fulham, and again this links back to his optimism in the transfer window, despite the fact he's only got one in so far. Um, it was it was optimistic and, and, and promising to hear him say that they'll be better equipped from the start of the season at Fulham than they were, and better prepared than they were at Watford a year ago. Well, that's where we're going to finish off. I just want to ask Craig. You said you, you spoke to to Warnock earlier this this week. What kind of mood was he? And we know what he said, you know, on TalkSport and in the, in the piece written up. What, what kind of mood did you sense he was in? Was it excitement that the season's coming up and, you know, he's determined to, to make it count? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he returned me text uh, and, and called us back for, off the bat of it for a start, which I don't think he would have done if he wasn't uh, in such a good mood. But yeah, genuinely, he was. he's really looking forward to it. He, he couldn't, uh, you know, he couldn't have sounded more excited about the prospect of of getting back and, and games with fans at the Riverside, of course, next season. He's he's really really looking forward to that. And genuinely on transfers, he, he is genuinely optimistic. He feels like things are moving well, and he thinks the market will start moving in the next couple of weeks. He is really genuine. Can't wait to get back up. Craig, your internet is terrible. That's that's the note we're going to have to finish on. Know, thank you, <laughs> thank you, ladies and gents, for tuning in to Tribe Supper, your go-to Middlesbrough FC podcast live on the Gazette Borough page. Please remember to like the Facebook page. Please remember to go over to the website to see all the content and to subscribe to the podcast as well. We should be back next week. All things being well, um, enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>